let's go to the Lord in prayer real quickly. Father, we come before you and we recognize you as creator. We recognize you as Elohim, the one who speaks into the darkness and creates light. Father, you did that so long ago at the beginning of time, and you continue to do it in the hearts of men and women. Father, we ask that you would speak into the darkness and create light in the hearts of men and women in this room tonight, Lord. We ask that you would take scales off of eyes, that you would unplug ears, and Father, that you would change hearts. Father, as we look at the gospel and we recognize that you are God, and there is none other. You are the Holy One. You are the one of whom all praise, honor, glory, and power and dominion is due forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, it's a, it's a little fast pace, a little crazy music. Uh, basically, that's to help me take uh, my introduction um, and narrow it down into five minutes versus 45 minutes. So hopefully we won't be here forever tonight uh, like we were two weeks. If you have your Bible, which you should, turn it in then to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's some to back. <clears throat> one of the lovely people back there would love to hand you one. <clears throat> now, some of you are kind of like, okay, we're going to be talking about the gospel. Why are we starting in the Old Testament? <clears throat> Excuse me. Major issues. Uh, Romans says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Basically, in order to understand what the gospel is about, we've got to go back. <coughs> if somebody could give me some water, that would be absolutely awesome. Um, we've got to go back to the way, not everyone, just <laughs> thank you. We've got to go all the way back to when it all started what the point was. You'll notice that when we started, we went back. We didn't just start with man. There's been a theological battle for years. Is it God's sovereignty or is it man's responsibility? We're not even going to go there yet, but you'll notice if we study Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 like we did a couple of weeks ago, um, God was there first. God spoke into the darkness. God created Elohim, Ruah, breathed on in men to create them. God named them man and woman, or Adam named woman, but God named man. Now, that might mean nothing to you, but the importance of that is God named it. God created it, God named it, God owns it. What God wants to happen, happens. What God determines is true, is right, is the way. That's the way that it goes. No matter what I think about it. So we go all the way back to before time began. And we start with God. God who is holy. God who is just. God who is righteous. God who has no sin in him. God who is eternal. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. We go all the way back there. We see that God didn't need, need creation. We see that God didn't have to have creation. That God spoke and he was self-existent apart from his creation. He wasn't dependent upon creation. He's not dependent upon you and me. We also, if we were to go back to Genesis 1 and 2, we would see that God was a good God. If you remember day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6. And God looked, he saw, well, God spoke, it was so, he looked at what he had made and he said it was good. Everything that he made was good. He is a good God. James says that he gives all good, perfect gifts. He is a good God. He looks up a man and he says it is very good. He is a good God. We also see that God is sovereign. God reigns. God is in control. He was in control of Adam and Eve. He spoke into the darkness, created the light, made it happen. We also saw that he does whatever his will desires, according to Isaiah. We see that God is all-powerful. We become so familiar to flannel board God or flannel board Jesus that we lose 
we lose sight of the fact that Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit back in the day before time began, they made everything. They set into motion everything. They were transcendent above creation. They made creation. And God is all powerful. What is it that God cannot do? He spoke into the darkness and created the light. That's very reassuring. And we also see, all these are powerful things. God is powerful. We also see that God is loving. God, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, after doing these amazing things, He desires relationship with His creation. Isaiah 43, 7 said that He created, all those who were called by His name were created for His, what? You remember? For His glory. You the Westminster Confession says it like this. The chief end of man is to know God and to enjoy Him forever. We're not Presbyterian, so a lot of you don't know that. Um, if you could get this where it's working, that would be great. Um, the presentation. Okay? So, God is loving. He desired relationship with Adam and Eve. Well, what about man? What about man? God created man. God created woman. They were perfect. They were created to glorify God, Isaiah 43, 7. And they were also created to bring God pleasure. That's kind of crazy when you think about it. So we start with God, then we look at man. But what does it mean that we are created for God's glory? What's it mean? I mean, we say that word all the time. Glorify your name, God. God, we're about your glory. What's it mean? What's glory mean? Anybody? Recognition.
Alright, real quick. What do you learn about God? Okay? Here's the deal. Here's the rule I always have. Use the text to describe the text. Okay? What's it say in the text about God? What does he say about himself? Everybody's scared now because I came down so far up then. Look at verse 15. The Lord God, what did he do? He took man. What did he do with man? Put him in the garden. Why? To cultivate it and to keep it. Okay? He gave him a responsibility. He, sovereign God of the universe, holy God, one who's in control, is now controlling man saying, here's what you need to do. Go to the garden, cultivate and keep it. Verse 16, what's it say? Okay? God commanded man, said, from any tree in the garden, what? You can eat of it freely. We always think of the commands in the negative sense, but he starts with the positive. You can eat whatever you want, except, verse 17, what? Except from the tree of what? Knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of that tree, Adam, when I take you, or man, when I take you, man, put you in the garden and cultivate and keep it, you can have all of this, but you can't have that. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what's going to happen? You will surely die. You will surely die. Okay, uh, was this a hard command to obey? Why not? Huh? He had every God, good God, provided man with everything that he needed, but gave him a little boundary. Right? The little boundary. Now you know the story, but let's continue to unpack it a little bit, okay? God is holy. Here's some characteristics about him. He's holy. Real peace. What we're going to be talking about with this gospel thing is how do I have peace in the midst of a chaotic world? How do I have peace when there's war all around me, when there's psychopaths on the streets, when there's people even in our church who say that they live a godly life, but they, their life is a wreck? What does it mean to have peace with God? Okay? So God is holy. Real peace only comes from being in a relationship with Him. Being in a relationship with God. Now that in and of itself is crazy. That holy, righteous, just God would be able to enter into relationship. Would make a way to enter into relationship with me. Okay? Out of this relationship, Adam and Eve, God at this point. Out of this relationship, he is developing trust. His trust of them, their trust of him. He's developing trust. If you were here this past Sunday or the past couple of Sundays, that's what we've been talking about. Trust. As you trust God, you say, okay, God, this is what you say. I willingly, since you're creator, since you're sovereign, since you're holy, since you're righteous, just, since you've created me for your glory and for your pleasure, I willingly align myself to that. We hate the word submission, but it means out of love, I align myself. God is good. I trust that you are good. I align myself under what you desire for me. And then, from that, loving obedience to God and His will. As I trust God, as I come under the authority, God is the Lord, God, there is none other. His will is perfect. I come under Him, and then I obey Him. That's what this whole relationship thing is about. Not I obey Him out of obligation because He's going to strike me, but a loving relationship. Okay? You there? Say yes? No? Well, this sounds great, doesn't it? But what happens? Just so you know, everything else that happens in Scripture, everything that's happening around you today finds its origin in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Everything. Everything you see on TV, everything that's wrong with the world today, everything that's right with the world today, all of the turmoil, all of the stuff you see, always goes back to Genesis. 
Always. God begins his plan of redemption back in Genesis, weaves it through all of the pages of the Old Testament, through Israel, all the way through the years of silence until, boom, Jesus shows up on the scene and redemption walks among us. And then redemption dies on the cross and brings lasting redemption. Weaves throughout the story until Jesus goes up to heaven. He leaves us, go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I commanded, all those things. Lo, I'm with you. Jesus is up there, but he's also among us because he lives through the Holy Spirit in us. And there will come a day when redemption is complete and we are in heaven and we worship the Lord like the Revelation talked about. But... Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Now the serpent. Enter the crazy music. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. If we were studying this on our own, I would say you need to mark Lord. You need to mark every reference to the serpent. Why? Because it helps you slow down and process. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, the serpent, said to whom? The woman, what he said. Indeed, has God really said, you shall not eat from the tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, what she said. Yeah, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we can eat. Any problem with that yet? Can they eat? Yes, no, maybe so, yeah. Yes, verse 3. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be what? Open and what else? You'll be like God. How are they going to be like God? Knowing good and evil. What was the name of the tree? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Compare that if you're still here in three. So go back to two. What had God said to them specifically? Don't eat from it, for in the day that you eat from it, what? You will surely die. Enter in the serpent. Serpent talks to Eve. What's he say to Eve? How's ah, he start the conversation? Creating doubt. How does he do that? Did God really say? Did God really say? Does Eve know, or at this point, does the woman know what God has said? Yeah, she preaches it right back to him, right? But then the doubt becomes even more huge. What does she say, or what does he, the serpent say in verse 4? You're not going to die. Okay, so describe for me, please, the serpent's attitude towards what God had said. No respect. No respect. Okay, what else? No lying. God's lying. God's a liar. He didn't really say. Anything else? Defiance. Defiance? Remember, this is creator God, holy, righteous, just, sovereign God. Huh. Pride, maybe? Who gives rip? Well, this is the first time or the last time we see our boy, the serpent. Look at some of the other things that it says about him. Revelation 12, this is uh, just this in Revelation, but it's describing something that happened a long time ago. Okay? Revelation 12, 7 through 9. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. I would mark every reference to the serpent here, too. The dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war. Just in case you missed it, what's going on in Revelation 12, 7 through 9? There's a war. Who's in between? This is pretty sweet stuff. The enemy, the devil, the dragon, and who? Michael and the other angels. Okay, keep going. Revelation 12, 79, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. Hmm. 
No longer place found for them in heaven. Okay? So, look at verse 9, which you can't even tell because I don't have the verse numbers up there. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old. And his job, it says, is to deceive the whole world. What's the role of the serpent? What are some other things he was called here? Deceiver. Dragon. Some scary stuff in Revelation about the dragon. Anything else? The serpent of old. Okay. That's, that's one place where he's at. Uh, if you want to dig a little bit deeper, we don't have time for this. Oh, that's what I wanted to show you. Uh, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So you know, this happened creation time, okay? Some place for you to go deeper? Well, look at this. Ezekiel 28, 12 through 19. Isaiah 14, 12 through 19 talks about this. If you want to write down those. So, you've got Adam, you've got Eve, and you've got the serpent situation. Maybe it looked a little something like this. I sound good, I smell good, and I look good. Just when you think you've had enough of me, I draw you back in. Think you can break free from me? Don't be so sure. I insist. It looks good. It maybe smelled good. He weaved it in such a way where, oh, has God really said? He kind of slips into doubt like Nari said. Then he comes up with, uh, no, God really didn't say this at all. Well, let's continue looking at the story. John 8, 44. This is another place that talks about the devil. You've probably heard this. Jesus is slapping some religious leaders upside the head, and look at what he says. You are of your father, the devil. Jesus, meek and mild. And you want to do the desires of your father. I love, I love Jesus. This is so awesome. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is the liar and the father of lies. What do you learn about the serpent here? What do you learn about the devil? He's a liar. When he tells a lie, I mean, is it a big deal for him? Oh, the devil, you told a lie. How could you? No, when he tells a lie, that's who he is, that's what he does, that's his nature. Not only is he a liar, so when he's lying to Eve, that's what he does, that's who he is, that's how he acts. Not only is he a liar, he's a murderer. What is his desire? Still kill and destroy, another great cross reference. So, you got holy, righteous, sovereign God. You've got Adam and Eve. Okay? We know what happens with that. Alright? So, you've got the enemy, the serpent of all, the dragon. He can't do anything to holy, righteous, sovereign God. He can't, like, if they were in a boxing match or a fight club match, God would win all the time. No matter what. So, what the serpent of all, the deceiver, the murderer does, does he go after God anymore? Who does he go after? His creation. His creation that was called to do what? Bring God glory and to bring God pleasure. So he takes an affront, an attack on God's creation in order to get back at God. Out of pride, out of arrogance. What a sad thing. He's a liar. So jump to application for you and I today. Is the enemy around us? Is he real? What are the ways in which he comes at us? Temptation? Deception? Let's unpack that word deception. But you've heard me say this before. Is it like there's this flashing light that says lie, lie, lie? Don't go there. Don't touch that. 
big billboard in the sky or some, a big wall that says, sin, do not enter. Do you see that anymore? No. The enemy makes it. He makes it look good. It'll taste good. Interesting. The way in which he did this back in the day, right when time began, is the same that he works against you and I today. He's still a murderer. He's still a liar. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Somebody read verse 6 for us, please. Creator, but the creature. 
they bow down to the creature. And then it, this spiral of sin continues to where they, they just shove it all off and they're involved in gross sexual immorality. And the wrath of God rightly abides on them. Romans chapter 1. They are without excuse. Well, then you thumb the page over to chapter 2, and Paul turns his, his direction or his attention to the religious leader who should know better. Have you taken lightly the kindness of God that's supposed to lead you to repentance? You teach, and you do the very same thing that you teach others not to do. So, then you get to chapter 3, and the point that Paul's making is, everybody, I don't care who you are, where you are, what age you are, everyone is under sin. Everybody. So he says in Romans 3, 9, What then? Are we, the Jews, better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks, so Jews and everybody else on planet Earth, that was a weird way they viewed it back then, are all under sin. For all, I jumped to chapter, or verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So this deal of, oh, I'm a good person, all have sinned, which my dad, my real dad, believes that I'm a good person. I'm a Republican, so yes, I'm going to heaven. No, he's going to be, but for the grace of God, hopefully God will break through into his heart. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So this thing that happened back in the day infects all of creation. Okay? I know some of you are like, ah, I know this. I've learned the Romans wrote. Listen to verse 12 of chapter 5. Therefore, just as through, just as though one man's sin entered the world and then death, death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Okay, so here's our parents, Adam and Eve. They sin. Man, oops. It's not they die and then we start over again. Adam and Eve sin, it then infects them. It then is a part of their DNA. All of the kids after them, they are all infected with this sin DNA. My two-year-old daughter has the sin DNA. Romans, or not Romans, Psalms 51, David said, In sin, in my mother's womb, I was conceived. All of us have the DNA. There's no cure for it before you become a believer. There's no, well, we can manage it. All of us. It is no respecter of wealth, no respecter of the color of your skin. All of us have this sin problem. It's spread through all men. Okay? Maybe like this. The younger you are, the quicker I'll pounce. And the older you get, the more traits I've got. The more naive you stay, the easier I am snapped. And the wiser you are, the more sly I become. The stronger you get, the more I attack. I am sin. So this is what Adam and Eve did. This, we owe it all to them. Thanks, guys. Romans 5, 19, for as though one man through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Through our parent, Adam, through his sin, all of us are sinners. For the wages of sin is death. We're not getting to the happy part yet. I celebrate diversity. Man, woman, black, white, young, old, rich, poor. I don't care. I seek all equally. I devour all wholly. It doesn't matter who you are. I am going to kill you. I am sin. Y'all should have seen Amy and I watching this in the office like, ah, this is freaking. We were going to have somebody jump out and someone just scared the jump out of you, but liability-wise, we didn't want any heart attacks on our hands. What then is sin? Let's look at this. Because I think we don't get this. I, I think we don't understand what this really means. Sin, of course, is disobedience. I, my two-year-old is starting to understand disobedience. What is disobedience? Yeah. No, 
do not put My Little Pony in the toilet. <laughs> Kerplunk, My Little Pony, you just disobeyed. Bella, you disobeyed. My daughter's name is Bella. She's starting to understand that for some reason we, we age, we go through puberty, I don't know if there's something that happens there, but we lose sight of what is disobedience? God, sovereign, ruler, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to do what God, sovereign, ruler says. If I don't, what is it? Disobedience. Well, what's that look like? We believe a, the serpent's lies. We know the truth. But we willfully choose to disobey. We desire to be like God rather than obey God. Oh, God said this. Oh, but I want to be God. See, when you disobey, when you sin, you're putting yourself as God. Psh, bump that, what God said. I'm going to do my way. Bump what he said about all of those things. I'm going to pick and choose, and then I'm going to do it. I have just made myself God. I have just made myself an idol. I bow down and worship what I want, me. Okay? Came out from under God's authority. So remember, sovereign God, we submit to it, we trust Him, we submit, and then we obey. Well, when we sin, we come out from the authority of God. He's over there, we're not submissive to Him anymore, and we're definitely not obeying what he desires anymore. <clears throat> and then we know what's right to do and we don't do it. But sin is not just breaking rules. When I drive 70 and it says 65, it's not just that. When my daughter does the little perplunk thing, it's not just that. Here is what I don't think we understand about sin. Sin is independence from God. Sin is taking us from under the authority of God and coming out from under that and saying, I don't need you. I don't need God. I've got it together in my own. Now I go to church on Sunday and maybe I'll say, God, you forgive me, but I'm going to be independent from you. Living my, notice the repetition, my life, my way, my terms, my rules, what I want to happen. So I got a question for you who are living this way. My life, my way, the selfish life. Is that working for you? Your life, your way, your standard of what is right and wrong. Does it work? Yes or no? No. Not at all. I am the center of my own universe. Everything revolves around me. Last thing, I believe what I want to do. I believe what I want to believe. Oh, God is love. God's not going to make consequences for sin. He's love. There's no hell. God is love. That's a theological position these days. Oh, I would be crucified for even saying the word sin and hell within the same sentence in these circles. Is sin real? Yeah. How many of you sin today? Everyone raise your hand. Yes. How many of you said, I'm God? All of you who just raise your hand, please raise your hand. Yes. How many of you said, my way, my terms, whatever? God. You didn't say it out loud, but it happened in the scary part of your brain. Saying what I want to say, doing what I want to do. God just made me this way. Yeah, he made you a sinner. You're operating in sin. It's just my personality. Well, yeah, because you're a sinner. You are in sin. Going where I want to go, all without regard to God or his sovereign authority in my life. That's what sin is. This is open rebellion against a holy God. It's not some little thing you play around with. God hates it. He calls it a lot of different things throughout the Old and the New Testament. Abomination. Detestable. He abhors it. He hates it. His hand of wrath is against those who are living in this way. He cannot ignore sin, death, and separation from God are inevitable results. Now, back to our friends Adam and Eve. They do it. They eat it. 
they hide from God, what happens? We don't have time to get real far into it. What do they do? They hide. Who comes along? God comes. Does he like smite them immediately? What's he do? Where are you? Okay, remember, God, sovereign, all-knowing, omniscient, all-powerful. Does he know? Yes. What do they do? They're still hiding. Hey, we're naked. They tell him that they're naked. And God says, how do you know you're naked? And they say, they do what we do. They're confronted. You've sinned. What do they do? Well, she made me do it. She says, well, the serpent made me do it. Do they acknowledge we have sinned? No. Do we do that? Yeah. Oh, yes, we do. When confronted with our sin, what do we try to do? Well, my mom and dad were jerks. My dad wasn't around much. We blame it on our childhood. We blame it on the guy. We blame it on the girl. We blame it on, you know, mm, I went to this college and not that one, so I have no ambition in my life. We blame it on all of these other things when we sin instead of saying, what? I've sinned instead of owning Right? We try to come to church on Sunday and say, uh, happy face, everything's okay, I've sinned, but uh, I don't need to let anybody else know that. So we, we play this game where we take the little coverings. You know how we take the coverings? We try to hide. We try to hide what is reality. We might hide for a little bit. We might have some people fooled. But what always happens brought to light. The fig leaves fall off and the shame and guilt are there. Always. Number says be sure your sins will find you out. So we try to manage sin but in reality what's always going to happen? Shame, guilt, death, separation. Maybe it's like this. Tell nobody about me. Besides, we got a good thing going. You travel, nowhere to go, and no one to turn to. You actually think people could forgive you? <laughs> Don't worry, your secret's safe with me. Instead of being at peace with God, man is now under judgment and wrath. A holy God can't ignore sin without divine intervention, without rescue. There is no cure for this cancer called sin. There is no cure. Sin is now universal because Adam and Eve are the ancestors, the parents of all mankind. It has different manifestations. It might be in your life lying. It might be in your life lust. It might be in your life cheating or thinking that you're better than somebody else. But it's all the same. Sin. I am sin. Man is in desperate need of a Savior. Let's pray. Again, Father, we come back to the prayer of Lord. 
Open the eyes of the blind. Open the ears. Unplug the ears of those who are deaf. And Father, would you be pleased in this moment to use the Spirit of God who convicts the world concerning sin, as your word says. Father, would you be, would you be pleased to do that? Father, we recognize that we all are under sin. And Lord, if that's a new realization for someone in this room, Lord, I ask that you would allow the weight of guilt and shame to be so heavy on them. Lord, I don't just ask for temporary relief where we say, oh, Jesus will make all your troubles go away. And Jesus will do this for you and Jesus will do that for you. Father, I ask that you would give us a reality check in this moment where we recognize the depth of our depravity, the inner cesspool of sin where we all were drowning and without hope. If you are a child of God in this room tonight, I ask that you would intercede for your brothers and sisters in this room that aren't. I ask that you would pray for them. If sin, if the cancer, if you've been treating the symptoms instead of allowing Jesus to get in there and deal with the cancer. If you have been listening to the lies of the deceiver, the murderer, that lies because it's of his very nature, the answer is to believe the truth. I purposely left off some of the, the good news tonight. Because we got to realize how bad it is before the good news can be that good. So, you know, the weight, the gravity, Lord, I ask that you would, um, Lord, that you would allow the people who are in that place tonight, who are, you're wrestling with them, they're wrestling with you. If, if that's happening to you, I'm not going to do the thing where you raise your hand or stand up or anything like that. You need to talk to someone. You need to come to someone who can help you. Who can speak truth to you. We're not even to the good news part. But you know that you you are still infected with the cancer. Would you talk to somebody? Would you, would you go to them? Would you ask them to pray for you? Not in, in two hours or six hours, but tonight before you leave. Father, I again come before you and, and I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you that you, creator, sovereign one, can still make new creations today in Christ Jesus. Where you can beautify the ugliest of uglies. And you, through your grace and mercy, can take the rags of our sin and give us, in exchange, robes of righteousness. Father, I ask that you would continue to work in people's hearts. I ask that, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to speak. Father, that you would, you would allow us, if we are a child of God, to once again celebrate on one hand, but also be sobered and humbled by the grace of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for grace. Thank you for the gift of God. I ask these things in the name of our Redeemer, the one who has bought us back from slavery, our refuge, the one in whom we can run and be safe, our advocate, our kinsman Redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, a couple things to let you know about. Uh, I apologize. I, I'm we're trying to do something a little bit different. It's, it's not the same this week. Um, next week, we're going to start worship a little bit earlier, so that you know. Um, we're going to start it a little bit earlier, and then get right into the teaching around 8, 10 or so. 
uh, so that we can definitely be done by 9 o'clock. Uh, because a lot of you are old, and I'm old too. Uh, no, so that we can be done by 9 o'clock. Uh, so if you know that that's kind of been an issue for some people, tell them to suck it up and grow up, and then come back. Love on them and have them come back. But also, you know, for those of you that are involved in community groups, um, for those of you that are out in the community doing this thing, this is the perfect opportunity for you to say, hey, we're learning about this. Uh, our, our job is to infect our generation with the gospel. This is the gospel. What we're going to be unpacking over the next several weeks is the bona fide gospel, not some watered down, not some prosperity thing, but this is the gospel. And so I ask that you would prayerfully consider uh, who the Lord is laying upon your heart to grab and pull to hear the gospel. Um, Pastor John is getting ready to start a series called Right. Who is right for the gospel? It's, gonna, it's so amazing how the Holy Spirit aligns things uh, when we talk about them. But just be in prayer over that. And please know that I know it's not in skillful words that I have. It's not in skillful words that you have. But the gospel is Romans 1, 16 and 17. The power, the dunamis, the power of God, the dynamite, in your face, power of God for salvation to all who believe. Okay? And so there's that. Uh, if you're in a community group, if you're not in a community group want to know about that, talk to me back there. Talk to some other people who know about it. Or go online and there's info on that. Also, you see some little flyers around. We're having some dinner this Sunday. We'd love for you to come and bring your best dishes um, because we like to eat. And uh, Love Stinks weekend. That's going to be awesome. Um, Amy had to, if you've already signed up for that, we had to change the place just so we could go eat at Fuzzy's. Um, it's going to be in Arlington instead of the other place that we were going. But all that information is online as well. And that's, oh, if you're a male, Tuesday mornings, 6.15, wise guy in this room right here. Went through the book of Proverbs. Pretty awesome. Y'all have an awesome night. If you need to talk to somebody, please do. What time does it start? Well, we're going to be here worshiping from about 3 until 7.45. Uh, probably until 7.45. You need some pray, whatever. Let's see if I actually... Just not have your laptop? I realized after I got here that I had to let it back by my house to get it.